and sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. All right, all right, all right. Raise your hand if you can relate. <laughs> Only two of you? Come on. You, you got to be able to relate. Some of the men, half of this room are thinking, yep. <laughs> and some of the women half are like, uh-huh, yep. <laughs> sure we can relate because this happens all the time in relationships. Jamie, Jamie and I the other night were having a similar conversation recently and sans nail, of course, but Jamie was upset about something and we needed to talk. So I'm like, I got a lot going on, like I got to go do this, I got a meeting tonight, I got this going on. So I'm like, all right, fine, we sit down and she tells me what's going on. And the whole time she's explaining the issue, I'm internally processing the most effective, time efficient, least energy exerting solution to solve the problem. Are you with me guys? Yes, yes. And the minute Jamie was done sharing her problem, I roll out the plan, like the three-step plan of how to work through this. And I look over and Jamie's becoming physically emotional. I mean, te tears running down her face. And, and I look and I commit the ultimate sin of husband-wife communication sins. I ask, why are you crying? <laughs> Is it me? Is it something I said? Do you not like the plan? <laughs> Because as guys, this is what we do. When there is a problem, we want to fix it. Fix it. Exactly. But what do women want? They want us to listen. listen, sit with it. <laughs> do you see what the problem is? In that moment, the way to fix was to sit. <laughs> now, I'm in the remedial program when it comes to this reality. I'll be honest. <laughs> I might have to start a group called MIA. Male Insensitivity Anonymous. <laughs> Spouses, if your, wives are, if your husbands are not around, you know where they are. <laughs> now, I don't want to throw all the guys under the bus here by having everyone thinking that guys lack the ability to love. Fixing and serving and providing and protecting is how men, guys, are, are wired to love. 
And similarly, I don't want to give the impression that women are these over-emotional people that can't solve their problems. Sitting and listening and empathizing are a valid way to create a safe place to process problems. It's how women are wired to love. And the reality is we need both. But is it possible that the way that we're wired to love, the way we think we should love others, might not be the best way people need to be loved? What if there is a deeper meaning uh, to loving your neighbor as yourself? In one sense, it is a universal concept. Treat people the way you want to be treated. But what if loving people the way we want to love people or that we're wired to love is not enough? What if we need to rethink how we're loving others for the sake of truly loving them the way God calls us to love others? Our text this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Let's read this together. We're going to put it up on the screen. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. For the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. This was not an endearing moment with Jesus. They were trying, they were coming at Jesus, they weren't coming for Jesus for spiritual guidance or for help. They were trying to trap him into giving an erroneous answer to a question regarding the law. There were 613 religious laws for Israel. And what would happen is the rabbis of that time, they would often spend hours together debating and pontificating these kinds of questions. You could liken it to a speech and debate club for the religious elite. But in this instance, the Pharisees wanted to have Jesus answer on the spot. And the stakes were high. If Jesus got it wrong, he would have been accused of nullifying the law with his answer. So the Pharisees picked out an expert in the law, a lawyer, to ask this question. Of all the 613 laws, which one of them was the greatest? Many of you know Tom Harrison. He's a member of North River here, and, and he's an attorney. And, and, and I kind of liken it to the idea that when, when we have a legal question, we go to Tom because he knows the law and he knows process and he knows liability and all those types of things. He's a very wise guy. I wouldn't say that much about his golf game, but he's a very <laughs> wise guy. <laughs> what the Pharisees did in this moment is that they picked up their best. They got their Tom Harrison to come and try to trip up Jesus with this question. And without, and ta- so, so the uh, religious leader, the, the lawyer asks the question, what is the greatest commandment? And without missing a beat, Jesus answers in the most succinct but comprehensive way, 
love God and love others. See, in that answer, Jesus synthesized 613 laws down to these two statements. Every law hung on the idea of loving God and loving others. The first part of Jesus' answer comes straight from what, we, what is called the Shema. Repeat that with me. Shema. Shema. <laughs> In other words, if you were, if, if uh, the other night my daughter Peyton came up to me and said, hey, Dad, is that if I hang out with friends? And I was like, I don't know, you better go ask Shema. <laughs> it's a good way to use that. <laughs> The Shema is found in Deuteronomy 6.49, and here's what it says. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and your gates. The Shema was the central statement of Jewish belief. It was recited two times a day. It was taught to the children. It was something that Israel sought and thought about and reflected on regularly. It was posted on the door frames of their house and their gates. The Shema pointed to the concept of being all consumed with God. To love God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength meant full devotion, full commitment, full obedience, and full surrender. It meant God first above all else. And the Shema was one of the tangible ways that Israel remembered God daily. <clears throat> now the second part of Jesus' answer comes from another part of the Old Testament, which is called the Levitical Law. The Levitical law was given by God to Moses to establish Israel as a holy nation after God delivered them out of Egypt in the Exodus. The Levitical law was a high call of separation of uncleanliness and sin and to live wholesome God-honoring lives. Jesus references Leviticus 19.18 in his response to the Pharisees. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. See, loving your neighbor in the Old Testament was certainly a high calling. But the essence of loving your neighbor was to treat them well. It emphasized not dealing with others falsely or harmful or in a negative way. It had a moral and ethical connotation to it. More than that, it was understood as something more insular uh, relating specifically to Israel, uh, Israel. A neighbor was related to the bond of nationality, countrymen, and compatriot. In other words, loving your neighbor focused on those of like kind. Sure, you would treat an alien or a foreigner you might come in contact with with love and care for them and love them like you love yourself, as you, as you love yourself. But the focus was to love fellow Israelites well. <clears throat> now, I would suspect that most of us live by this code for loving our neighbor. 
But what Jesus taught about, about loving our neighbor was much, much bigger than what we are naturally able to comprehend. Let's unpack a little bit more of what Jesus said. First, we got to look at the word love. The word Jesus used for love in his response to the Pharisees was the Greek word agape. Say that with me. Agape. agape. Say it again. Agape, agape right? Agape. Sounds like some kind of fish you would order at a fancy restaurant. What can I get you? I'll have the agape. <laughs> I know it's sick. We're, Jesus is talking about love. I'm thinking about food. I, <laughs> Agape love is a self-denying, loving kindness. It does not end at moral or ethical or romantic niceties. Agape love goes much further. Agape love is sacrificial love. Agape love suffers inconvenience, discomfort, even death for the benefit of one another without expecting anything in return. Wow, that's big. Hold on to that thought. We don't have to look any farther for an example of agape love than the agape love that God teach, gives to each one of us. God loves each and every one of us in this way. He wants to know us. He wants to redeem us. He wants to give us life and to reveal his purpose to us. Now, these are not just empty words or desires of an old legend or mythic God. This agape love for you and for me was proven and displayed in the sacrifice of his son on a blood-stained cross. Jesus' life for our life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world... He so agape loved the world that he gave, he sacrificed, he suffered inconvenience and discomfort. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. When we come to an understanding of God's agape love, it is transformational. We receive God's love through Jesus, through that Holy Spirit, we are given a new beginning, a fresh start, a new lease on life. It is so powerful that the things we once counted as the things that we love, like money and success and independence, is now transformed in a deeper desire, a hunger to be loved by God and to love him. We learn to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. And we surrender our life in love and service to God. That's what agape does. That's the agape love that God gives. And that's what we receive from God. But agape love goes even further. Agape love is now extended to our neighbor. Agape love your neighbor as yourself. Sacrifice yourself for your neighbor. Jesus first taught about agape love at the inauguration of his earthly ministry at the Sermon at the Mount. One of the first things he taught was, was about agape love. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Agape love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Again, just as Jesus revolutionized the concept of love, agape love, he revolutionizes the concept of neighbor. What was once a moral or ethical boundary of neighbor is now boundless to opportunity and capacity for mutual help. Neighbor is now expanded to the strangers, the people we don't know, to enemies, people that we would prefer to punish, and not of our kind, those that we don't necessarily relate well to or prefer to associate with. In other words, we agape love everyone the way God agape loved us. Does that make sense? Today marks the 21st anniversary of the September 11 attacks. We don't have to look any further for an example of loving our neighbor as ourself than the way Jesus defined it, than that of the brave men and women who risked everything to help others that day. In a day of tragic mayhem designed to destroy and kill as many people as possible, thousands of first responders sacrificed everything, their life, their family, their health, their well-being, to go into that war zone to help and to serve and to rescue as many people as possible. And people from other precincts and cities and states and countries came to rescue, to the rescue of those who were not even known to them. Regardless of their kin and their color, their background or their resume, strangers became family that needed to be rescued. That's what agape loving our neighbor looks like. We honor and we remember those who not only serve that day, but who help us remember the call to love one another. Now, we may never find ourselves in a rescue-like situation like 9-11. I pray for that. But there is a need for agape love to people all around us, in our church, in our families, in our schools, in our towns, to the guy who cut us off on the ride to church this morning, to that annoying person in line in front of you at the checkout, at the store who's slowing you down, to the people who have hurt us, to the people who have betrayed us, to the people we don't have time for because we're too busy, or to the people who might disrupt our daily agenda or plans. Here's the big idea for this morning. When we remember the call to love, we are changed by God's love and we live out that love to others. When we remember the call to love, we are changed by God's love and we live out that love to others. This love that we're talking about is so powerful that it is capable of transforming death to life it can turn enemies into family, strangers into friendships. To love is to know the heart of God for people. 
You may, not, you may be the only example of agape love to somebody who needs it. Don't miss the opportunity out of fear or anger or apathy or personal agenda or other self-serving desires. Agape love your neighbor as you would love yourself. So how do we live that out? How do we live out this concept of loving our neighbor, of self-sacrifice? Well, let's look at three things to remember this morning. First, remember the command to love. See, loving our neighbor is not an optional assignment. We don't choose to accept or decline whether or not we agape love our neighbor. It's very likely the opportunity to love somebody will come to you at the most inopportune time. And when those opportunities come, drop everything. Stop what you're doing and engage. That is the Holy Spirit. That's God orchestrating an opportunity for you to exercise this opportunity to love your neighbor as yourself. In his book, Love Does, Bob Goff tells a story of when he was a teenager. He decided one day that he was going to quit high school and he was going to move to Yosemite to become a rock climber. He lived a several hours away from the Yosemite Park in California. But growing up, Bob had a young life leader. His name was Randy. Young Life is a Christian uh, parachurch ministry that comes alongside and supports and loves high school students. So Bob tells about this story how he had planned to head out and, and go to Yosemite, and he stopped at, at Randy's house to, just to say goodbye and to say, hey, thanks for everything. I'm quitting high school, and I'm going to go live my life in a new and different way. And Randy told Bob, hold on a minute, went in the house, came back out, and he had a backpack. And he jumped in the car with Bob, and he said, I'm with you. And for three days, three long days, they spent time together. Randy supported Bob as he tried to find a place to sleep for a night. They snuck into the back of an open tent where they slept in, the, in, a, in a campground. Bob went all around the park trying to find a job, went to every single place, and no one had work for him to do. He had $75, a pair of shoes, and a, and a jacket. And for three days, he was realizing very quickly that he was going to come up short. And he decided to go home. But Randy was with him. But here's the crazy part of this story. When they got to Randy's house to drop him off, Bob quickly learned of the sacrifice that Randy had made. His new wife came out of the house and greeted him and said, welcome home. Randy had only been married a few short days before Bob showed up at his house and said he was leaving. And Randy, in the most inopportune time, said, I'm with you. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing? And here's what Bob learned that day. He said, the kind of love that God created and demonstrated is a costly one because it involves sacrifice and presence. 
the rest of that story, the bigger part of that story, one simple act of somebody who was a Christian who was obedient and faithful and loved his neighbor Bob as himself, entered into Bob's life being changed. The book that I shared, I told, uh, and that's, that has that story, has sold over one million copies. God used Randy to love Bob in such a powerful way to change his life. And the outcome of that was so powerful that it changed Bob's course of life from becoming a mountain climber to becoming a writer. And through Bob's writing, the lesson of sacrifice and presence that Randy showed Bob has become a model for millions of people. See, our response to the command to love has the power to change the course of someone's life for eternity. What might have happened if Randy just waved goodbye to Bob the day that he showed up at his house? I think I might have done that. Good luck, Bob. I would have had, I would come with you if it was two or three months from now. And if that happened, the story would just not have the same impact. That's agape love. John 13, 34, 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Remember the command to love. The second thing we want to remember today is to remember people are to be loved, not projects to be fixed. Remember that people are to be loved, not projects to be fixed. One of the biggest hurdles that we need to get over is the idea that love is a formula. We often think that if I love somebody, if I do something for them, then the people will receive it and they'll respond to it. They'll change their ways and they'll come to know Jesus, right? <laughs> A plus B equals C. But deep down inside, we want the Bob and Randy story. And when that doesn't happen, if people don't change on our timetable, what do we do? We abandon them. We go to somebody else. Somebody else could use my time better than this person because there wasn't enough return on my investment. Remember the video that we just watched? It's not about the nail. Sometimes we just have to sit with people. Is it possible that when we turn people into projects that we're trying to fill a need in our own life rather than love people? Is it possible that we're trying to push God along in order just to get somebody into the kingdom? Maybe we're doing God's job trying to save them rather than doing what we're called to do and to love them. Maybe time constraints or competing priorities or, I, I, or ideal of love that falls short of agape love. Our intent may be well and good, but maybe those who need help may need something different for the time being. Be patient. We may think we know exactly what people need to change the direction of their life. 
But maybe people just need to sit in the process and rest first. In God's economy, loving people does not operate on our timetable. It operates in God's timetable. Love them. Sit with them. Take time with them. Remember Remember Randy. Be present no matter how long it may take. I met with somebody this week who shared about a struggle that they're having in their small group. And they're, they're struggling because it seems like whenever politics are discussed, there comes this tension. And people are trying to communicate their position rather than extend grace and love. And the challenge with that is I think we have become a society where we dismiss people, we reject people because of what they believe rather than listening and learning from each other. Friends, that's not how small groups are supposed to work. We don't just decide not to talk about a topic because of a political position. We don't just not talk about things because they are too difficult. And we certainly don't silence people because they don't agree with you. The last time I checked, where there's people, there's sin. And when there's sin, there's politics. And when there's politics, there's Democrats and Republicans, all right? (laughs) You're both thrown under the bus. (laughs) When we go out to serve today, in the big event. Don't go scorched earth and think that all you're about doing is just completing a project. We gotta get it all done today. It might be an opportunity where we get to sit with people. You see, the big event, the concept of serving people, yes, is to help them. But the bigger picture, the bigger idea, is to embrace new people. As we engage with people with Council on Aging or up at, over at Bethesda House or over at um, uh, Rehoboth House, wherever we're going today, it's an opportunity to sit with people, to engage with them, and to, and to love them. Don't look at people as projects. See them as people to love. And then finally... Remember how we love is a reflection of Jesus and the church. Friends, wherever you go, you bear the mark of Jesus. And that mark is love. It's an action-oriented sign that people will see. One of the histories of the big event some of you guys may not be aware of this because it's, we've been doing this for the last six years now, but we chose this weekend as close to September 11th as possible in order to symbolize and remember, one, the impact that it had on lives that day, but to do something good in a world at a time when people remember that that was probably one of the worst days of their life. And we wanted an opportunity to be able to love people to serve, and to do some good. And that ties right into our vision as a church. People being forever changed by God's love and daily changing the south shore and beyond for Jesus. We do three things around here 
It's our strategy, and we try to help people to reach and discover Jesus, grow in their knowledge and love of God, and then finally to go and spread the love of Jesus to the world. We want each one of you to be sent people. When you drive out of here today, you'll see one of our banners that says, go, go spread the love of Jesus to the world. That's what our call is. That's what our job is. And that's why we do things like the big event, to give the opportunity for us to go. But what if every day we saw each day as the big event? See, big event is just meant to prime the pump. It's not meant to be one time a year where it's one, done, and over. What if we're thinking too small? Instead of the big event, what if we were thinking of having the bigger event where, the, where all the churches on the South Shore link up together for one day with more churches loving and serving more people? What if North River is being positioned to lead the way? And if that's, not, if that's too small for you, what about the bigger, bigger events? What about a national opportunity where all the churches around the country come together and serve and love, our pe- love people the way we have been loved by God? What kind of impact, what kind of message, what kind of change would that bring around our nation? Politics aside, what does the concept of agape love for our neighbor mean for the immigration problem that obviously our leaders are choosing not to deal with? What role do we play? What role does the church play? How do we engage? I don't have an answer for you this morning, and I'm not trying to throw people under the bus. But I do want to point out that very well may be the church's finest hour to engage and to help solve that problem. When we remember the call to love, we're changed by God's love, and we live out that love to others. People will know it, they'll see it, they feel it. We may be the only expression of God's love that someone may ever experience. We need to do that well. So here's my final challenge for you today. Look at me for a second. Look at me. You and I have seven billion opportunities each day to love our neighbor as ourself. We don't have to go very far outside of our steps in order to serve and love somebody in that way of agape love that God talks about. There is no excuse. We have been called. There is plenty of opportunity. Just begin your day and see what opportunities arise. And there is a purpose. We love because God first loved us. And love is the way that God is changing the world. Do you agree with me? Do you agree with me? Then let's go do it. Would you pray? God, I ask that you would search our hearts. There may be somebody, there may be people, there may be opportunities that we know that maybe we have ignored or maybe we've been afraid of 
Or maybe we have just not had the time to love. And God, as someone comes to mind in our hearts this morning, in our minds, God, would you help us? Give us the strength. Give us the ability. Give us the grace. Give us the opportunity to love those people well. Be with us in all we do and all we say today. Amen. couple quick notes to share this morning. I want to remind you that next week we go back to our 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. services. So our, our 10 a.m. summer schedule is coming to a close. So we'll see you at either 9 or 11 next week.